Remembrance. As a child, it had a real strong link to World War I. I'm lucky enough and old enough to have met some of the last remaining survivors and veterans of World War I. As a young cadet, we would spend hours polishing our boots, getting excited and ready for Remembrance Sunday. And our understanding of it developed the older that we got as we were surrounded by these wonderful veterans from World War I, Korea and the Second World War II. So for me, it always had quite a historical context. And that historical context continues into our work that we do with Veterans in Politics. Because if you go and find it, in Parliament, there is something called the Recording Angel. And the Recording Angel is a monument, a memorial, dedicated to 22 members of Parliament who died in World War I, alongside members of the House of Lords and their sons, as well as many staffers. And each year I pay tribute in my own way to these people. But I guess my appreciation and understanding of remembrance has changed over the years to one of a more contemporary feel. Veterans that you see now, of course, are now in their 30s, 40s and 50s. So this Sunday, as you go to your local remembrance service, look around at those faces and they won't necessarily be the elderly faces that I saw as a child, but much younger with medals along their chests. And this link to Parliament also extends in contemporary operations and modern times. And it extends to my own experience in Afghanistan. Lance Corporal Oliver Thomas was from my battalion. And he worked in Parliament. Ollie and I first met during a, an event that I'd organised with my company. And he was so kind enough to, before we all went for dinner in Parliament, where we were fortunate enough to have hosted this event, Ollie came down and greeted all of our guests and gave them a tour of Parliament. Sadly, this was the last time that I was to see Ollie. And the next time that we were to be meet, were to meet, um, was in much more tragic circumstances. I was honoured, alongside many other members of my battalion, to have met again Ollie on the back of a C-17 aircraft on his return from Afghanistan, having been killed on operations. He was just 26 years of age. Ollie's boss at the time, Roger Williams MP, the MP for Brecon and Radnorshire, said of Ollie, not only was it a pleasure to work alongside Ollie for many years, but I consider it a privilege to have been able to call him a friend. So this link between politics and conflict and remembrance has seen a shift from one of being of a historical one to one that's really personal, one that means a lot to me and many of us. It demonstrates the strong link between politics and the military. And this is captured, of course, in more than just the recording angel that you'll find in Parliament that will be there forever. 
but also eternally in the hearts of the memories of those people that we've lost. People just like Ollie in recent conflict. What is not so well known are the stories of MPs, peers and parliamentary staff who served gallantly in both wars. 236 MPs and former MPs, a fifth of the total serving in Parliament, served in the armed forces in the First World War, of which 22 of them made the ultimate sacrifice. They often lead from the front. Arthur O'Neill, the MP from County Antrim, was the first MP to fall. He was killed on the 6th of November 1914 in an action near Ypres. A contemporary account read, He was shot on Klein Zillebeck Ridge near Ypres and shouting to his men to line the ridge, he was being carried out when he received another wound and then begged his bearers to leave him and save themselves. He did not know what fear was. All of Arthur's three sons grew up to fight in the Second World War and two of them, Brian and Shane, were killed in action. The youngest Terence went on to become Prime Minister of Northern Ireland. Valentine Fleming was born in 1882 in Newport-on-Tay, Fife, Scotland. He went on to contest and win the seat of Henley in Oxfordshire during the 1910 general election. And this is a seat, of course, that was previously held by our current Prime Minister. Prior to the start of the First World War, he had served as a captain in the Queen's own Oxfordshire Hussars. As soon as war broke out, Valentine and the regiment were deployed to France by the end of September. He quickly developed a fearsome reputation as a brave and uncompromising leader, entirely devoted to his men and leading always from the front. On one memorable occasion, whilst in reserve, he ran through heavy shellfire up to the men on the line to see if they wanted any ammunition. On another, hearing of a private being seriously wounded, he forged forward, bandaged him and personally carried him back to the dressing station in full view of the enemy. By December 1914, he was promoted to major before becoming second in command by January 1916. Major Fleming sadly fell on the 20th of May 1917. During intensive artillery bombardment, Valentine Fleming left the safety of HQ and made his way up to the frontline trench to support his men and repel an anticipated enemy attack. He never made it. After the enemy had been beaten back, his body was found on open ground. A tribute in the official regimental history wrote, No greater blow could have befallen the regiment than the death of Major Fleming. Beloved by his friends, worshipped by his squadron, admired and respected by all, he was a most gallant officer, a born leader of men. Deriving authority from his own ability and merit, being also a man of notable courage, he was able to control his men freely by strength of character and personal example, rather than by force of military discipline. Major Fleming left behind a wife and four sons. The youngest, Ian, went on to become an intelligence officer in the Second World War and the creator of secret agent James Bond. The last story of the 22 MPs killed in World War One, I'd like to talk about today in the podcast is Lieutenant Colonel Lord Alexander Thine DSO, 
who was commissioned into the Royal Wiltshire Yeomanry in 1897, serving in South Africa and Somaliland in the campaigns of the early 1900s. He went on to be elected in 1910 as one of the two members of Parliament for Bath and was killed in action in 1918. His story is perhaps best captured in the Lives of World War I exhibit at the Imperial War Museum, and that is by Walter Scott Shepherd, a soldier from his battalion. Walter recounted in his memoirs, The battalion was ordered to move into the front line on the 14th, and at dusk that day, they commenced to relieve the 9th Welsh. It was in doing that the regiment suffered a heavy blow. Lieutenant Colonel Lord Thine, accompanied by Lieutenant Collier, Captain Campaign, the medical officer, and five men was proceeding along the road to his frontline headquarters when the party came under a sudden burst of shell fire. The shells fell directly among the party and not one of them escaped. Lord Thine, Lieutenant Collier and three men were killed instantly and Captain Campaign and the other two men were badly wounded. The news was a terrific shock to the battalion and indeed to the whole division. Lieutenant Colonel Lord Alexander G. Thine, DSO, MC, who loved to be with the battalion in the line, had put in some of his finest work for the regiment during the war. Commanding first the 6th Wiltshires, till he was wounded with them at Messines, and later the 2nd Battalion, his great personality inspired all who came into contact with him, and his untiring work for the good of the regiment brought each battalion to the highest state of efficiency under his command. Always very human in his dealings with men, those who served under him were full of admiration for him, and although he had only for a short time led the 2nd Battalion, his loss could not have been more deeply felt. Besides the DSO, he was awarded the French Croix de Guerre for his liaison work between the 19th Division and the French, which he did so successfully in the Champagne district during the defence against the German attacks in June. Parliament's history is interwoven and threaded by a deep tradition of political public service by members of our armed forces. They have served in every political party at every level and at every epoch of our parliamentary history. The operational experiences of Iraq and Afghanistan has reminded the people of the UK not only of our service and sacrifice, but also the training, values and professionalism we brought to bear even under the most trying of circumstances. In the last Parliament, around 50 MPs had a degree of military experience, with a number serving on operations. This cannot go to waste. It is now needed more than ever in our Parliament and our local government. But for now, we remember, lest we forget. <laughs>